The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. Father, we praise you because you are worthy of all of our praise. You are the one that spoke and the world came into being. You are the one that blew a wind and fed a million people in a desert. You're the one that raised Lazarus from the dead. That began to even bring darkness over all of Egypt, but there was light in Goshen where your people were. You can part a sea. You can revive a heart. You can transform a life. Nothing is too difficult for you. You are the only one able to make a way when we've tried for years to get through but one word from you makes a way where there was no way. So we come here in humility. We come here with expectation that you are the God that can do exceedingly abundantly even more than we would ask. So God, we open our hearts to you. Have your way. Expand our human minds to see what you can see. Expand our faith to rise above just the ways of the world that are today. Let us begin to walk in ways that we can see more of the greatness of who you are and what you desire. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated. It is good to be here with you today or tonight. I am. This is my... Last day of travel, I started traveling on February 26th. So, you know, sometimes when you get near travel, you have to keep your heart, say, just calm down, calm down, we'll get home soon enough. But it's good to be here with you. I really have a word I want to share with you. It's something that God has really been building in me over the last few years. So I want to ask this question, um, and you go ahead and you can put it up on the screens. Does Jesus offer two levels for living the Christian life? Are there like, they're the real serious people that are going to really be disciples, and then there's the ordinary Christians that just kind of come to church and just try to get, you know, just try to hold on until heaven comes. That's the kind of thought that I don't think we would say yes to that, but we kind of live like that. You know what I'm saying? It's kind of like we can live as though there are the Christians that really go for it and they really try to live all out for Jesus. And then there's another level of Christianity. But you realize that that's not what the Bible teaches us. That we were called to come to Jesus Christ and really become a disciple of Jesus but a lot of times, I think in the modern church, we've thought Christianity is you say a prayer and you become a supporter of Jesus. Like, you know, you're a supporter of Arsenal or Liverpool or something like that. You back him, but it's kind of like you can, you just kind of live your life and I support him, I'm for him, I cheer for him. But that's not what he called us to. 
Jesus Christ called us to something much more than that. In fact, when he first met people that were coming to him, he called them to come follow me, right? As the things he said to his early disciples, come and follow me. Look in Mark chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I'm going to have several verses tonight, so if you want to jot them down, look at them later, you can. He said, Jesus said to them, follow me and I'll make you fishers of man. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. He said in John chapter 10, my sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. He said, my sheep follow me. He said in Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and what? Follow me. For whoever saves his life will lose it. But whoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. Follow me was more than just saying a prayer and being a supporter of Jesus. Follow me was to give Jesus the control of my life. Now he's my Lord. He's my leader. He's the one I obey, seek, and follow. Amen. I don't do my own thing. My life is his. It was bought with his blood. It belongs to him. I live not for my name. I live for his name. I live not for my prestige. I live to see him glorified. One time... A few years ago, I went to Brazil on one of my trips. And then in that time, I was gone to several places. And then I went to a small area. I had been to Rio, been to Sao Paulo. Then we went to this place called Santorin. In Santorin was this church where I came in and I spoke to 2,000 small group leaders of one church. So they all led a small group. And this church had grown from 500 people to 50,000 people in a, in a town of 300,000. And so this, this church had just grown astronomically. It was, it was affecting the city greatly. And I, want, I, so I was really impressed with this. And so I came back a later time and I went to a place in Sao Paulo. I sat with the leaders I met with the, the, the senior pastor. We spent days together. I went and watched all of his things we're doing. They had churches where they would take people from their church and say, how many of you will go, I just make this up, go to Bristol, and we're going to start a church in Bristol. Can I have 20 people that will quit their jobs, leave what they're doing, and go to Bristol so we can start another church there? And they would do that. They went to every state of Brazil. They went to over 12 countries where they started churches. And they did all of this in about a 15-year period. So I was there in Sao Paulo because people said, oh, you can do that in a smaller town, but you can't do that in a big city. Like Sao Paulo is one of the 10 largest cities of the world. And he went there and started that and was doing there. So I listened to him. I watched what they were doing. I saw how they were making disciples who make disciples. And they were living sacrificially for the Lord. They were carrying the mission of Christ. And after I watched all this and said all this, I looked at him and said, on the day I was going on, I said, if you were me and you were going home, what would the one thing that you would do after I've seen all of this? And he said, I would spend a year with my leaders wrestling with the question, why must we make disciples? I wouldn't talk about how are we going to do it, for at least a year. I wouldn't even talk about it. I would just get the burden in your heart. Why must we? Why should we do that? And I did that. I went home. I didn't 
talk about how we were going to do it. I didn't try to read books about how to do it. I just started looking the scriptures, praying, meeting with my elders, meeting with my staff, meeting with uh, the key leaders in the church, talking about why do we need to make disciples until it started burning in our hearts. And I'm going to tell you, I started really becoming convicted that the modern church has made spectators, but not disciples. That we've got people coming and watching the Christian worship, watching the celebrity pastors, watching the things, but we've lost the mission which Jesus clearly gave us to go and make disciples of all nations. So I started wrestling with that. And one of the things that I started realizing, why must we make disciples? And it's because of the salvation that we've been given. You, you realize most people in church today have a very limited concept of salvation. They do not really understand the fullness of salvation, so they don't walk out their salvation, and they don't grow up in their salvation. For most people, they see salvation as Jesus died for me, he paid my sin debt, so now I'm forgiven, so when I die, I'm going to go to heaven, and I'm going to be able to come and, and be with God. So it's done, it's finished, salvation is complete, there's no more to do. So I want to look at salvation scripture-wise because it really comes to the fact of what are we doing with the salvation we've been given? What is salvation? If you, what are we being saved from? Sin. Sin is our problem. You look at the scripture, it says the whole human race is guilty of sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We're in bondage to sin. We're slaves to sin. We're dead in our sin. We're separated from God because of our sin. Sin is our problem. Salvation is God's solution to our problem. Salvation is not a ticket to heaven one day. It's a process by which God brings us into to deal with sin. And so go ahead and put up this slide. You realize when it talks about salvation, it talks about three phases. In the past, justification, that we have been saved. When Jesus died on the cross, we've been saved. It talks about sanctification, that right now I'm being saved, right? I'm in the process of growing up in my salvation, and then glorification, that I will stand one day where I will be free from ever from the presence of sin, where I'll be in heaven with him, that I shall be saved. The scripture uses all three of these, past, present, and future, when it talks about salvation. So I want to look at the past, present, and future parts of salvation, Past salvation. We've been freed from the penalty of sin. In the past, God saved us from the penalty of sin by Jesus dying on the cross for us. When we put our faith and our trust in Jesus, that what he did on the cross satisfies the holiness of God, pays my debt, and reconciles me with God. That it's not that I'm based, I'm judged by God on a performance, that my only right to come to his presence is what Jesus did on the cross. Somebody say amen. I'm justified. I'm made right. It's a legal act whereby God views my sins as forgiven. That means our guilt and our sins were taken away by the sacrifice of Christ. In Romans 1, 5, 1, it says, Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, not by my efforts, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 2, 13 and 14, it says, You were dead because of your sins. And because of your sinful nature that was not cut away, then God made you alive with Christ. 
for he forgave all our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. Our debt has been paid by Jesus. You want to know how does God, how do you know God loves you? If you're trusting what Jesus did on the cross, that God's art, it says in the scriptures that God has his arms open to you because Jesus paid the fullness of your debt. See, we've been forgiven. We've been adopted. I can come boldly assured of his welcome, not because I had a good day, but because of what Jesus did on the cross. When we put our faith in Jesus, we become aware experientially that I've been now received as a son and a daughter, that I've been born again, that I'm no longer bound in my sin, that I have a new life, a new nature inside of me. Jesus paid our debt. I'm completely forgiven. I'm declared not guilty. I'm free from the punishment of sin, and I've been made right with God, brought into his family, and I've been given a new nature. In the past event, Jesus accomplished that for me. That's what justification is. Christ has accomplished for you what you could never accomplish. You could never earn it or achieve it. It says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. Not of yourself. It is a gift of God. That's justification. That's part of salvation. I think most people think that's all of salvation. It's not. There's also present salvation. Freed from the power of sin. And that's called sanctification. 1 Corinthians 1.18 For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved. Present tense. It is the power of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. Salvation is not only a past that I can be assured of my standing with God because of Christ, but it is also a present. God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is saving us from the control and the domination of sin right now. You not only got saved in the past, but whatever the enemy is battling you with today, you have the power through the Holy Spirit to be saved from that right now. Amen. There is no part of our human experience that has not been affected by our sin. Our bodies, our minds, our emotions, our relationships, and more has been damaged than we even realize. So there's healing and there's restoration that has been given to us as the Holy Spirit comes into our life so that we can begin to find victory, that we can begin to rise up into the stature of who we are in Christ. The Holy Spirit was given to us to teach us, to guide us, to empower us so that we grow up in our salvation. The Holy Spirit will work patiently over decades on our thoughts, our language, our habits, our attitudes. He will break strongholds, begin to tear down idols. He will heal wounds. He will begin to show you who you really are. His aim is to reduce the flesh, the selfishness, the pride, the dishonesty, the unloving ways, and to begin to build up the fullness of who Christ is so that you walk in God's will, that you walk in Christ, that you cooperate. You should be a new believer, but as you walk with the Holy Spirit, you're becoming a disciple that is fully yielded to the will of God and to the ways of God. You can't stay a baby Christian your whole life. You must grow up in your salvation. I know people that have been a Christian 25 years, but they haven't changed much in the last 22. 
We're to grow up. If we don't grow up in our salvation, then we begin to stagnate. And we begin to just walk in a powerlessness. Sanctification is not an instantaneous process. It is step by step where we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Or he is in a lifelong process to give us power to overcome our flesh, to begin to walk in a new nature, to begin to deny the ways of our family that we grew up in that were unhealthy, and begin to walk in a new level of love, a new level of victory, a new level of confidence. It says in Ephesians chapter 4, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. See, the same power that raised Christ from the dead dwells within a born-again believer. The one in you is greater than the one that is in the world. You will experience pulls of sin. You will experience things trying to hold you captive, but you are not a victim. You're more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus, my Lord. And Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Nothing can hold us when we've been bought with his blood. But we're to grow up in our salvation. To grow from faith to faith. Not live in stagnation. Live in the same sin holding us for 20 years. Philippians 1.6 says, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Did you hear that? He began the work of salvation, and as you trust him, follow him, submit to him, and allow yourself to, to truly follow him, he will begin to grow you up that you become who he created you to be. It's about us cooperating. You know one of the things I learned? I'm going to try to say this. All of us face hard things. All of us. And they hit buttons in us, and they disturb us, and they knock us. And if you ask the Lord, what are you trying to teach me? How are you trying to grow me? What are you trying to do in my life? And you cooperate with him, I guarantee you, he will mature you, develop you. I, I, I honestly don't see trials or hardships or difficulties as a negative thing. I see them as a way to refine me and make me more like Christ. But if you don't see them that way, then you see the way the Holy Spirit wants to use the things that are going on out there because God's the potter, you're the clay, he wants to work on you. You see the hard things is out there, you blame people, you justify your flesh, you justify your negative attitudes, your impatience, your pride, your arrogance, all of these things that are inside of us. Instead of seeing, wow, Jonathan, the way he talks to me hurts my heart and I get so mad inside, but I'm called to love no matter what Jonathan does. If I submit myself to the word of God and to the spirit of God, then God begins to unhook the unloving things in me that now Jesus can begin to touch the life of that one that's hurting me. Can you hear me? But if you don't do that, you just blame it as people, then what you're doing is two things. We're either not believing that the Holy Spirit is trying to use everything in life to make us more like Jesus. So we're not submitting to it. We're just acting like it's diff people. I mean, I hear people complain every day about people. Do you know that they're God's sandpaper on your life? They are. Stop complaining. Start seeking to live like he called us to. And watch 
your character. Watch the Holy Spirit begin to do something in you you never thought. The second reason that we don't cooperate with the sanctifying is because we love self too much. We want to protect ourselves. We want to defend ourselves. We want to excuse ourselves. We want to justify ourselves. But if you really, really understood, self is the direct enemy of the Holy Spirit. The greatest enemy of the Holy Spirit in you is self. And if we begin to release self and let self diminish, the Holy Spirit begins to become powerful. It says in Philippians 2, Continue to walk out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to fulfill his good purpose. Do you realize the saints of old that write stories of how God worked through them and powerful believe things like this? They believed that even when they faced the hard things, if they will begin to submit and God will begin to raise them up and use them in great ways to work out your salvation means to let it begin to grow and mature and help you become more like Christ, that you're bearing fruit for Christ, that you're starting to love like Jesus loves, that your faith is starting to get stronger, that the things that are old are falling away, and the things that are new in Christ Jesus are beginning to show themselves more beautiful. You're beginning to real love those who are mean to you. You're beginning to walk through trials with a confidence in the Spirit of God. I'm growing in my salvation. I'm becoming more like Christ. Paul goes on in Philippians 3 and he says, he's not perfect, but he presses on to achieve all the purposes for which God took hold of him. He said, God took hold of me and I've been beaten and I've been left for dead and I've been thrown in prison and these people mocked me and these people came out and spread lies about me. But all of that has just pressed me into Christ so that I may fulfill the reason that Christ took hold of me. He says in 2 Timothy, I love this verse, 4. Verses 7 and 8 said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. When the trials came, when the people rejected me, when they slandered me, when the difficulties came, instead of giving into the flesh, instead of feeding my pity, my discouragement, my anger, I humbled myself. I turned into the Holy Spirit, and my faith grew stronger. My character became more like Jesus, and I finished what he gave me to do. That's walking out your salvation. I don't think it's done a lot in parts of the world today. Because we really think being a Christian is I come to church, I'm a supporter of Jesus. But no, it means when he said, when they slap you on the cheek and they do you wrong, you return good for evil. My flesh doesn't want to do that. So I have to really labor in prayer to make my flesh bow down and submit. I follow Jesus, not my flesh. And that's what Paul said. I fought the fight. I kept the faith. And now I stand at the end of my life and I finished it. And I know there's a crown awaiting me. Amen. So many people get saved, but they never grow up in their salvation. They stay in bondage to their reactions, to their getting hurt, to getting discouraged. to They don't take off these fleshly patterns as they, f- they get triggered and hit. and stu- So they get stuck in these ways. It's like literally they're never going to grow past their pity. They're never going to grow past their self-reliance. They're never going to grow past their fear because they won't make it bow down to Jesus. 
and walk through it and allow him to bring the victory. So we've been a follower of Jesus, but we're not able to make a disciple or we're not able to influence the people around us. And I say to you, why must I be a disciple? Because Jesus Christ died for me and he paid a debt I could never pay. And he had brought me into his family and he put his spirit in me. And I need to walk that out because he's worthy of it. It's not easy. It takes me holding on to him. It takes me digging into him day by day. But if I do that, there is a power by the Holy Spirit to give me victory over things. It says in Hebrews chapter 5, verses 12 through 13, it said, you've been believers so long now that you ought to be teaching others. Instead, you need someone to teach you again the basic things about God's word. You're like babies who need milk and cannot eat solid food. For someone who lives on milk is still an infant, and he does not know how to do what is right. They didn't grow up in their salvation. Because why? We, we, we're not seeking to walk it out. We're, we're not seeking the word of God to be applied to our flesh, to our attitudes, to our internal. Like, honestly, if you fight the battle in here before the Lord... What goes on in the physical realm begins to give glory to him. But if you don't fight the battle of your thoughts and your hearts and your attitudes, then you just see the enemy just keeps knocking everything down. And he just keeps causing havoc and chaos and problems. We've got to stop saying no to the Holy Spirit. We have to stop trying to live life in human power. If we do, we're going to be stagnant. We need to go back and ask the Holy Spirit, what are you doing right now in my life? And I guarantee if you really mean that, he'll show you what he's doing. He's trying to, right now the Holy Spirit is at work in you for the, a purpose to help you grow up in your salvation. If we go back and say, what are you trying to do right now? I want to cooperate with you. I want to submit to it and let you begin to move me from where I am to where you're calling me to be. Amen. The last is future salvation. That's freed from the presence of sin. Romans 5.9 says, Having been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from his wrath through him. Having been saved, we are now being saved, and we shall be saved. It talked about we shall be saved from his wrath. More than just the past and the present, salvation points to a future where we will be with the Lord, freed forever from the presence of sin. The final removal of the presence of sin will take place at the coming of the Lord in his, all his glory and honor. And it says there will be no more tears, there will be no more sickness, there will be no more death, there will be no more wounds, there will be no more rebellion. We will be freed from these earthly bodies and given heavenly bodies where there's not disease and all of the deterioration. We'll be citizens of heaven Romans 8.23 says this, And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us, as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. See, a part of what motivates us to walk out our salvation is not only 
the tears we get, we think of how he paid all of our debt, how he still loved us even though we were unlovable. And it, it's not that his presence with us, that he never leave us, he'll never forsake us, that even when everybody else leaves, he's with you to lead you through where you can rise up. He's also telling you, I've come to prepare a place for you. And I want you stay motivated to keep walking out your salvation because of the promise that you will be released from ever from sin and shame, that you will live with him, dwell in his presence as his son and his daughters, and that you receive glorified bodies. I mean, I know many people, our desire is that when he comes, that he'll say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We don't want to hide. We want to go towards him and saying, Lord, I took what you gave me. I took the time you gave me, the gifts you gave me, the opportunities you gave me, even where you put me in the world, and I sought to use it for your glory. 1 John 3 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Salvation And the future points to when we will be glorified and be with him in heaven. So you got justification, freed from the guilt and the condemnation of sin. You have sanctification, freed from the power and the control of sin. You have glorification, freed from sin's presence and eternal consequences. That's salvation. So what are we doing with the salvation Jesus gave us? Because he died. He, he defeated the devil. He paid our debt. He never bowed his knee in rebellion to God or to the enemy. He lived a sinless life and he shed sinless blood to set us free so that we could be saved from sin and its control and its eternal consequences. Now look at this passage in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, 4. Since the messengers declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? He said, since Jesus died to give us a great salvation, he paid our debt, he brought us out of the kingdom of darkness, he brought us into the kingdom of his father. We've been made righteous, given his robe of white, We've been brought into his family, and his Holy Spirit has come to dwell within us, to lead us, to guide us, to never leave us, to never forsake us, and to help us overcome every single thing that we'll face. And we've been assured that we will be with him forever, spared from the consequences of the sin and the rebellion. And it says, if God has given us such a great salvation, how should we escape if we neglect it? Not reject it, neglect it. He's not saying you walk away from it. He's saying that if you've been given this and you don't seek to walk out the fullness of what you've been given. See, that's what struck me. Why should we make disciples? Why should I seek to make disciples with my life? Because he's given me a great salvation. What is one of the points of my life? I tell you what it is. One of the points of my life is to let him bring the fullness of his salvation in my life, and then to help other people walk into the fullness of that salvation. 
And he's like, when you, when you see that, it's like we're not just attending. We're not just trying to cheer for Jesus and then live our lives. No, we've been given a great salvation. And he says, what escape is there for those who neglect it? And that's what struck my heart. Why do we need to make disciples? Why do we need to be an authentic, I follow Jesus? I seek to walk out and become more like him, even though these fleshly things inside of me, because we've all got them. But I seek to make them bow and submit to his authority. Amen. And watch him begin to break through and let the Holy Spirit become strong in me. That I decrease and he increases. That I stop having a tug-of-war match with him over every little hurt and pity and fear. And that I begin to let him have his way inside of me. So if we could stand up. I want you to be sincere with the Lord. Because you can either not want your path to be disturbed and it's just like i don't want to upset the i don't want to upset the way i'm doing things and it's like you're trying to just keep it or you can come and say god i know that i'm saved i know that jesus died for me and i trust it and believe it but i want to walk in more of the fullness of your salvation I want to walk with the Holy Spirit leading me, not my flesh, not my pity, not my discouragement, not my wounds, not my lust. I want to be led by the Holy Spirit. I want to cooperate with you. I want to see you begin to push past the insecurities in me, the doubts in me. And begin to raise me up that I can walk out the life you've called me to. Not by might, not by my power, but by your spirit. I want to take what you've given me and let it become better and stronger, affecting my family, my parenting, my influence, my character, my love, my faith. The softness of my heart. I don't want to neglect your salvation. I want to honor it. I want to treasure it. I want to treat it as valuable every single day. So I come to you now and say, do something in me so that I don't just go back to my ways. I want to walk out my salvation. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.